Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, Crossing family, it is so good to be able to spend time with you today. I know that for many of you, this is your first or second experience with our online family, but I am so glad that you're here. And I want you to know that even though we can't be physically together, we believe that you can still engage in the message and that God can still move you, change you, and make you more into his likeness. If you're watching on Facebook Live right now, I want you to put some hearts up across the screen. If you're watching on our online platform. I think there's a way for you to put some hearts on the screen just to let people know that you're in, you're engaged, and you're expecting life change. We just got out of a sermon series called Closed on Sunday, and we end that sermon series with all of our campus pastors getting up on stage and saying, Closed on Sunday, you bet. And little did we know that the very next Sunday, we would be closed on Sunday. If we had anything to do with it, we apologize because that was the last thing that we wanted. Our goal was for us to prioritize us getting together and being what God called the church to be. But even though we can't meet together, doesn't mean that God isn't gonna use this to shape us and mold us and form us. For instance, right now, parents, your kids are learning by how to follow Jesus by watching you follow Jesus. This might be one of the first times in your kid's life that they get to see their mother and their father or uh, their grandma or their grandpa or their aunt or their uncle, whoever they're staying with, worship God. This might be the very first time they actually get to see their parents pray out loud as they're going through a service or take communion. It's gonna open up doors for you to have incredible conversations with your family. So just because we can't meet doesn't mean that God can't take ground. And I want you to be as engaged as you possibly can during this service. So if you're ready, I want you to type into wherever you're watching from, I want you to type in, I'm ready. I want to see that go up all the way across the screen, all across this region, 10,000 square miles big. Now, Jerry just preached an incredible sermon last week as we started a new sermon series called Jesus Walks. Even though life is complicated, we have someone who knows us completely. And not only does he know us completely, he is willing to walk with us. You don't have to be alone. And the one who walks with you knows the future, but he doesn't just know the future, he knows your future and he knows my future. Well, as we push further into this sermon series, it's late Thursday night. Jesus has finished hanging out with his disciples in the upper room and completing the Last Supper. He heads to a familiar place late that night to pray the Mount of Olives. Among the grove of olive trees, there was an area called Gethsemane. It means olive press. I want you to remember that because we're gonna be coming back to it later. It was here that the olives were pressed and turned into olive oil. There is no more fitting place for Jesus to pray to God. For it is in this garden of Gethsemane, it is in this garden of pressure that he is going to be pressed. The pressure that Jesus is about to feel 
the sheer tonnage of the agony that he is about to experience, no one can fully fathom. He leaves eight of his disciples at the gate or the entrance of the garden. He takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further into the garden with him, and then he leaves them with this instruction. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Then Jesus goes about a stone's throw on into the garden, creating even more distance between him and the three disciples. He's not out of sight, but he is out of earshot. And it's here that the high drama of this scene begins to unfold. Jesus is gonna go off and he's gonna pray three times. After each time, he's gonna come back to interact with his disciples, and when he gets there, he's gonna find them sleeping. In Jesus' time of greatest need, his disciples, the ones who are the closest to him, the ones he is asked to watch and pray will fall victim to the earthly demands and fall asleep. Question, have you ever fallen asleep while praying? In fact, as I was practicing this message, I got uh, down from my office and there's two chairs behind it and I got down on my knees and I just was spending some time praying and I must have fallen asleep because the next thing I know, my kid's tapping me on the back going, hey dad, you okay? I'm like, yep, I was praying and then I fell asleep. If you've ever fallen asleep while praying, type in the chat, sleep. Yep, we need it, we get it. It happens to all of us. But listen, in this time of need, Jesus is all by himself. He falls to the ground first to his knees, and then all the way flat with his face in the dirt. The writers begin to use a variety of different words. Whether you're reading this account in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, we get all of these different word pictures that start to leap up to try and capture the agony that Jesus is feeling. The first one is that of anguish, and then sorrowful and troubled. Literally, if you were to unpack this in the text, it means that Jesus was surrounded by sorrow. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you're surrounded by sorrow? Where if you look to the right and you look to the left, when you look behind you, when you see what's ahead of you, everywhere you look is sorrow. You're surrounded by it. You can't escape it. There's no relief from it. You're surrounded by sorrow. That's where Jesus finds himself. Another author says that he was overwhelmed to the point of death. It uses the word distressed, which means to be alarmed or amazed. Get this. This was the deepest sorrow that Jesus had ever experienced. The intensity of this pain was so great that Jesus was astonished by it. He was alarmed by it. Jesus, fully God and fully human, is expanding and experiencing the limits of both of those realities. Now, the primary cause of this anguish was not that Israel was rejecting him. It wasn't that Judas had defected from the 12. It wasn't the fact that the disciples had, were in the process of deserting him and would desert him even more. 
nor is it the injustice of the religious leaders. Now, it wasn't the mockery of the Roman soldiers which was impending. It wasn't even the reality of the cross that he would begin to bear the next day. All of those considerations, as hurtful and as horrifying as they must have been, were only secondary. The agony and the astonishment that overcame Jesus in the garden went infinitely beyond any of those. His grief was fueled first and foremost by the horrifying recognition that he would soon become the bearer of the sins of the world and the object of the divine wrath of God. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, him is Jesus. God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for, everybody type this word into the chat, us, us. He made him who had no sin to be sin for, for me and for you. So that in him, this is Jesus again, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus would experience the weight of sin. I want you to think right now of the worst sin that you've ever committed. For some of you, you may have to think back to uh, your teenage years, or maybe your college years. Maybe for some of you, uh, it was in your early 20s. Maybe for some of you, the worst thing that you've ever done happened last month or last week. It's the thing that you did that you're convinced if everybody else knew about it, nobody would wanna be your friend. You're worried that if the word got out even among your family, you'd be distanced and alienated. Jesus is about ready to take on the worst moment for all of us, for all of humankind. I'm not just saying he's about to take on your sin. I'm saying he's about to take on the sins of everybody who's ever come before you. He's about ready to take on all of the sins for everybody that will ever come after you. He is going to carry the weight of the sins, the guilt of the sins for all of us. If you're like me, when you think about that worst moment in your life, maybe you begin to sweat a little. Maybe your heartbeat begins to quicken because just the thought of thinking about that sin creates nervousness, anxiousness, maybe even fear. Jesus is not just carrying your burden. Compound that with all of human history's burden. And not just one sin, but all of the sins. He is gonna be alienated from his father. He is gonna be crushed by God as a guilt offering for us sinners. This moment is so excruciating that he begins to sweat drops of blood onto the ground. This condition, we now call it hematidrosis. 
What happens is, is during moments of extreme mental and emotional strain, it causes the subcutaneous capillaries to dilate and then burst. Mixing blood and sweat and they fall to the ground. And it's in the pain of this moment that Jesus cries out with his first prayer. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 26. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus implored the Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. By asking if it is possible, Jesus, is not one, Jesus did not wonder if escaping the cross was within the realm of possibility. Jesus knew that he could have walked away from this death at any time, any time he chose. Jesus said, I lay my life down that I may take it up again. When he was talking to the unbelieving Pharisees, he said, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. You see, the father sent the son to the cross, but he did not force him to go. Jesus was here asking if avoiding the cross were possible inside of the heavenly father's redemptive plan and purpose. You see, because the agony of becoming sin was becoming so unendurable for the sinless son of God that he wondered aloud before his father if there was any other way for him to deliver men from their sins. God's wrath in the Old Testament is often pictured as a cup of wrath to be drunk. The cup symbolized the suffering that Jesus would endure on the cross. The cup of God's fury vented against all the sins of mankind because he's holy and he can't tolerate a sinless people. In order to satisfy that wrath, in order to drink that cup, Jesus would take on himself our sins and become the sacrificial lamb of God. So then Jesus cries out in Mark chapter 14, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knows that everything is possible for God. We hear that multiple times in scripture, that with God, all things are possible. But God had a bigger plan. Sometimes when you pray to God, even when you're the son of God, God says no. Sometimes God has a bigger yes. Sometimes God has a bigger plan. And in this scenario, if you've ever been frustrated that God said no to you in one of your prayers, I want you to realize he's looking at his perfect son, Jesus Christ. The one who's done no wrong. The one who's been perfect in every way. The one who has all of the favorite chips that he could cash in. And God looks at his son, Jesus, and he says no to Jesus. But that no to Jesus was a yes for me. 
and it was a yes for you. Because God said no to Jesus, you and I can have something that we don't deserve. And so Jesus cries out in the middle of this pain, Abba, Father. This word picture is used of kids talking to their fathers. The way we would say it is just daddy. It's so informal. I know of a pastor who went and worked at a church that was fairly prestigious and the previous pastor always wore a suit and tie on Sunday and he kind of showed up with some jeans with some holes in them and a, a shirt that was untucked and eventually the senior pastor pulled this young guy into his office and said, hey, uh, it's important that we dress up, that we look right on a weekend, that we treat the moment with dignity and honor. And he said, if, if you were be, to be invited into the White House, and you are gonna meet the president, wouldn't you wanna dress up? And the young preacher looked at him and said, yeah, but if he was my father, I would just walk in there the way I am. He realized that God is our heavenly father. We can call him daddy. This is not just reserved for Jesus. He's not the only one who gets to cry out, Abba, father. He's not the only one who gets to say daddy. You and I get to say it as well. Galatians chapter four says this, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because of what he was willing to do and endure, because of when he was in the garden, because he was there and he was willing to push through and do the will of God, you and me, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are sons and daughters of God. And because of that purchase, because of his sacrifice, when we pray, we look to the holy God of the universe and we can say, daddy. It gives us a sneak peek into the intimacy that is afforded to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, some of you, as you've been listening to this message, you're a little alarmed. I mean, we have all of these preconceived pictures of Jesus, and yet it looks like Jesus is in the garden, and you're alarmed by the fact that he's asking for a pass. Some might be tempted to say that Jesus appears fearful or that he's lacking in bravery. But I wanna remind you, bravery is defined by our actions. It is not defined by our emotions. In fact, the bravest among us are the people who do the right thing, even when it costs us dearly. The bravest among us do the right thing, even when it's scary, even when we're afraid. It's not that we don't have these thoughts, it's not that we don't have these requests, but in the end, we have the courage to do what God has called us to. Jesus was not troubled by the, just the physical torture that he was about ready to experience. What he was wrestling with was the spiritual torment of the Son of God for the first time experiencing the full guilt and weight of our sin and the complete separation from his heavenly Father. In a couple of weeks, when Jerry's gonna be talking about the crucifixion, Jesus, while he's on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus is being ripped from an intimate relationship he's had with God before the beginning of time. He's being alienated from his father because he cares, carries the sin and the shame and the guilt that you and I put on him. Nothing that he did on his own. He willingly chose to embrace it. So not just to feel the weight of our shame, not just to pay the price of our sin, but also to experience the alienation of the father. But Jesus was brave enough, faithful enough to follow God's will over his own. And that, my friends, is the true test of every believer. When the moment comes, when it happens, when you find yourself tested, will you do what you wanna do? Or will you surrender your will and do God's will instead? I gotta be honest with you, I have a will. I have a will for my finances. I have a will for my family. I have a will for my parenting. I have a will. I have a will for how I want my friendships to take place. I have a will for how I want God to move in my life. I have a will. I wonder if you have a will. Do you have dreams, goals, desires, ambition for what you want to have happen in your home, in your family, in your friendships, in your job? But I'll be honest with you, when was the last time I actually checked myself and said, God, is what I have going for me what you want for me? What about you? Have, we been, have you become so focused on your will that you forgot about the will of God? What if it, the will of God was actually gonna cost you something? Jesus is about ready to pay the ultimate price. And even in his prayer to God, he submits to God. He puts his request, God, this is what I want. But if it's not possible, not what I want, but what you want, if I could grant any wish, if I could pray any prayer today for all of the people who call themselves part of the crossing, is that we would have the same courage, the same boldness as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that we would confess our will to God. But then at the end of it, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost, that we would be willing to say to our Heavenly Father, yet not what I will, but what you will. I have some takeaways for you today, so I hope you haven't tuned in yet. If you're ready for these takeaways, type in takeaways. Here's the first one. Don't run from the pressure. This garden of pressure, this garden of Gethsemane, took the olives and it made them into something more widely used and available by taking them through the press, by putting them under Pressure. If you go to the greatest fast food restaurant in the world, to Chick-fil-A, and you order yourself a delicious chicken sandwich, I want you to know that those chicken sandwiches spent time in the pressure cooker. Sometimes things have to go through pressure to come out different and to come out better. In 1991, there was a three-acre mini world that was created at a cost of $150 million dollars. They sent scientists inside, it was completely enclosed, and it, they called it Biosphere 2, and it replicated every environment that we see here on planet Earth. 
The scientists were enclosed and they were gonna be there for a long period of time and they spent time growing uh, crops and harvesting things and taking care of the, the entire environment with the goal of seeing what it would look like to create a second world. While they were in there, they had a challenge. The challenge was the trees, although they grew quickly, they would fall down before they ever reached maturity. And it was in that moment that they discovered that without the wind, trees never developed the necessary strength to survive. Sometimes we spend all of our time asking God to calm the storm. All the we spend all the time asking him to cease the wind, not realizing that it is in the middle of the pressure that we are made strong. It's only in the storms that you have to live by faith. It's when you're going through the pressure that God is able to change you and excrete out of you something that might not have been there in the beginning or that you might not have discovered about yourself. When you and I, when we see a diamond, I need you to remember that that is simply a chunk of coal that did really, really well under pressure. And it was Jesus when he stayed in the pressure, when he allowed himself to be in the garden of pressure because of what he did and he stayed in that moment and he didn't run from it, that he created a pathway of salvation for you and for me. When you find yourself in the garden of pressure, don't run from it. Don't leave too early. Stay there and let God do the work in you because there is always something to learn in the garden of pressure. God revealed something to his son Jesus in this garden. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter five. During the days of Jesus's life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Does it sound like the prayers that we've been talking about? Do you see Jesus in the garden praying these prayers? and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He was designated by God to be high priest. If Jesus can learn something in the garden of pressure. I've got a message for you. You can too. If Jesus can learn something, so can I. And I bet you right now, some of you are feeling like you're in the pressure cooker. You feel like you are in the garden of pressure. You feel like you are being pressed, that the tension is growing, but are you learning something in the middle of it? Uh, here's one I've been learning just in this season that we're in right now, I'm learning how much of my trust has been misplaced. I'm learning just how much I trust in other things and sometimes how little I trust in God. I'm learning during this season we're in right now how little I used to pray because I'm finding myself praying more often. I'm learning just how important human interaction is I'm a hugger, I'm a high-fiver, I'm a fist bumper, and I'm having to navigate 
things that I normally just take for granted and do, that those are gonna be precious things I get to do with friends in the future. I am learning something in the pressure. I'm learning something in the garden of pressure. And I hope that you will learn something too. Some people might've seen church as something that's so flippant. And now we realize how gathering together is so precious. There is always something to learn. So Jesus stays in the, just outside the Kidron Valley and he stays inside the Mount of Olives in this garden of pressure. No disciples to go with him, God forsaking him. So Jesus goes through the valley alone. He's in this garden, this valley by himself but there's good news for us in this, which is another thing we learn in the garden, that Jesus goes through the valley alone so we don't have to. Jesus walks the road alone so you and I don't have to. If you're like me, you're always wishing and hoping and praying for a mountaintop experience. When you find yourself on a mountaintop experience, you, you hear from God and you connect with God and maybe you experience God in a way and there's this tendency that we wanna stay up on top of the mountain. But I've been to mountaintops. I've stood on them. I've been so high in the mountains that I could see storms below me. But when you go to the mountaintop, you know what's not there? There's not trees, there's not grass, because there's not an awful lot of air. You know what you won't find up there? Food, nutrients, sustenance. You can't live on the mountaintops. You can't survive on the mountaintops. While you may be able to hear from God, you can't do the work of God. It's in the valley. It's down in the valley where the trees grow and the streams wind their way through the rocky and hard places. It's in the valley where the flowers bloom and where the seed produce a harvest. It's in the valley where the storms come down and the very storms that bring wind that could break you makes you stronger. It's in the very valley where you wanna be out of the storm that God takes that very storm and he uses the water from it to nourish you. It's in the valley that you experience God's work in your life. It's in the valley where we do and accomplish his mission. It's in the valley where he walks with us. You don't need God on top of a mountain because there's no work to do. But it's when you go down into the valley that you make the difference. And Jesus walked into that valley all by himself so you and I don't have to. So we, in this time, in this storm, we walk into the valley expecting a harvest, expecting God to do a work, expecting God to change lives, expecting him to grow our faith, expecting us to increase our dependence on him. It's in the valley that we learn and we grow and we become all that he wanted us to be. It's in the valley that we become the light of the world. So while God, while God might be saying no right now, while you may be wishing that he would lift all the external challenges that you're facing, although right now he might be saying no to the prayers that you're begging him to answer, I need you to know he said no to Jesus. And it might be a no for now, 
but it will not be a no forever because there will come a day, there will come a time when the skies will part and the sun will descend and he will come and usher those who have an intimate personal relationship with him to go and dwell in the house of God forever. And it's in that place that there will be no more no's for we will finally be with him. And you can claim that as your truth. You can claim that as a fact for those of you who are in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.